The Toronto Maple Leafs overcome a bumpy start in Game 1 to take the lead in their series over the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Boston Bruins bounce back from a home loss to take a commanding 3-1 lead in their series despite injuries. And the Winnipeg Jets lose a heartbreaker after mounting an amazing third-period comeback. We've got all that and more on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Locked On NHL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe at your podcatcher of choice and on YouTube so you can get new episodes as they drop. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Leafs, David Morissuti. And David, uh, a little bit of a shaky start there, but the Leafs seem to have found their groove I got to ask you, are you surprised they rebounded so well after that very difficult game one? I'm not I'm not surprised at all just because of the way that they lost that first game. You know, a brutal start to the game, obviously, first 10 minutes and you're already down to nothing, three nothing after the first period. And, you know, th- this team, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, they got a little bit too caught up in the moment. And you know what? You feel like that was just something that they had to get out of their system. And it might have been a good thing to get it out of their system now rather than later in the playoffs. So, yeah, it was obviously you want to win every game possible. But, you know, the turnaround from from game one to do was certainly a great, uh, great thing for this Leafs team because they needed to show some pushback. They needed to show some some fight. And they got all that in, in game two. But, yeah, game one wasn't a great start. But, I, you know, the response has been even better. And, you know, you talk about pushback and fight. I mean, you know this team is is into this game when Austin Matthews drops the gloves with Steven Stamkos. Yeah, that's uh, the first time we've ever seen two 60-goal scorers fight ever. And I, I thought that was a neat and interesting stat. But Austin Matthews is not one to, to drop the gloves. He says he's gotten into, like, little scuffles at practice, but he has never dropped the gloves really in his life. So... It's it's one you know what like it's good to see that he's willing to stand up for himself. That's a good thing. You don't want to see Austin Matthews drop the gloves. Those hands are pretty pretty valuable for the Leafs. And you know you also have to be a little bit careful because Tampa is going to goat the Leafs into doing these things. They're going to try to get them to retaliate. And in that situation, Austin Matthews really didn't have much of a choice because Stamkos is grabbing him and he's punching him. Like you gotta you gotta respond somehow. But also at the same time, the Leafs were in a position there where they should have been getting a penalty, maybe even two penalties going to you know, for them in that situation. So you got to really be careful because Tampa knows they play a lot of situational. They have a very they're very aware of the situation. So the Leafs have to be a little bit more careful in those circumstances. But you do like the fact that Austin Matthews is one to take it to that level if he has to. You don't want to see it very often, but yeah, this game, the game three really did have everything. What was the turning point for this team? You know, game one, as we said, was not pretty. 
But game two, they came out and and rallied and and you know ended up evening up the series. What turned things around for the Leafs? In in game two, it was really the big the best players were the best players, right? John Tavares never had a hat trick before in the playoffs. He gets a hat trick against Tampa. When your best players are having performances like that, you're most likely going to come out on the positive end of a lot of those games, right? And so. I think that was the big one there. And the big change, really, in my opinion, has been taking Ryan O'Reilly and putting him at the third-line center. He started game one as a second-line center. And what that really does, it takes away the ability to match Tampa one through four, top from line one to line four. When you put Ryan Ryan O'Reilly at that third-line center, it makes Tampa realize now we have another line that we have to account for. In the past, especially in past years in the playoffs, the Leafs have been been very uh, guilty of being oh, you know very top heavy and the bottom six has been kind of a it's been neglected a little bit now that's not the case for this team they can roll four lines you know obviously the fourth line is still your traditional fourth line but top three lines you will you will take those three lines against any team in the league and I think that's a huge boost that's what that Ryan O'Reilly trade was meant to do and I think Tampa has struggled a little bit to realize that they don't necessarily have the depth that the Leafs have. And when that, when the Leafs decide to spread things out, it makes it that much harder to, to defend them. You know, you talk about Ryan O'Reilly in game three, he ties the game with one minute left in regulation and then sets up Morgan Riley for the game winner with 45 seconds, roughly left in overtime. I mean, how big a contribution is that? Yeah. Like those are games the Leafs lose far too often where the Leafs just don't in game three, the Leafs were not good. They were not very good. They might, if they had lost that game, it would have been a deserved loss, but this is the Stanley cup playoffs. It doesn't matter what you do the entire game. If you can get those moments to go your way, that, that last minute, Ryan O'Reilly in the right spot, right in front of the net, getting that puck and making most of the chance in front of the net there. Yeah, so I think the big one there is Ryan Raleigh was in the right spot at the right time, getting it right in front of the net and, you know, finding a way to get that puck through. It doesn't have to look pretty. And that's something the Leafs have been very guilty of is trying to make things look too pretty. Just just make the easy, simple play, and he did that on that play. And then on the game-winning goal, something the Leafs had struggled to do in Game 3, which was win a face-off and win it cleanly and get bo- and get traffic in front of Andre Vasilevsky. He had no idea that shot where that shot was coming from. That like Morgan Riley doesn't usually score a lot of goals, but when he gets it through, and when you get traffic in front, it makes it very tough. And you know, that's a game the U Leafs usually don't win. Even when they get it to overtime, a lot of people are you know very anxious because you know the Leafs don't usually come up in those moments. So I think for the Leafs, for the team, it was a big self belief moment there, knowing that they can come through in those moments. You know, one other thing that the Leafs are not known for in recent years is goaltending. Talk to me about Ilya Samsonov and what he's meant to the team so far through three games. Yeah, first game wasn't it wasn't his best. He looked nervous. He looked shaky. Game two, he was pretty good. He didn't need to be very good. You know, Tampa wasn't exactly coming out lights out in that one. But game three, like we were talking about it on the podcast, and Mike said, like, one of these games, Ilya Samsonov is going to have to steal it for them. Because you got Andre Vasilevsky, the best goaltender in the world, on the other side. If he's not going to have his best game or 
even if he's going to have a decent game, your goaltender is going to have to steal you one when your team isn't playing well. And that's what Ilya Samsonov did in game three. If Ilya Samsonov doesn't play like he did after the first period, because the first period, it wasn't his best. But after that, he 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 was the reason why they were able to win that game. That, that Leafs team really did struggle with the pressure that Tampa was putting on them. Extra chances, leaving guys open in, in prime scoring locations. Samsonov had to win that game for them, and he did. All right, so what's the key? Game Game four going to be huge. Big difference between going back to Toronto 2-2 and being up 3-1. What does Toronto have to do to keep keep going and, and build on this 2-1 lead? They got to use the same recipe for game uh, two and three, which was get off to a good start and try to get that first goal. They score the first goal in the last few games and it leads to wins. You have to knock Tampa off their game. Tampa is going to do something to try to not try to make Toronto, you know, act differently, right? Whether it's a little bit of that extra physicality, ignore that stuff, ignore the extracurricular stuff, stick to your game. And I think that's something the Leafs really need, uh, really need to focus on. And Tampa's going to have relentless pressure. The Leafs have to simplify things a little bit more, spend less time in their own end and take advantage of, you know, the matchups that Tampa, Tampa's just not that deep right now. The Leafs are the deeper team, and it's been proven in this series. They need to continue to take advantage of that, and they'll, they'll they should be able to end this earlier. Game like if you can come back to Toronto with the chance to win it and take the pressure off, that's the big one. Don't get let Tampa get any momentum. Take the pressure off yourself. Give yourself a little bit of that breathing room, and make Game Five the one that you can clinch the series. All right, David, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, D underscore Morissuti, and you can get the Locked on Leafs podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Subscribe to us on YouTube, Locked on Leafs, and yeah, we'll be uh, getting a new episode up on Monday morning. So be sure to look at that and get a little bit more of an insight into what to expect going into game four. All right, David, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gil. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game Time will credit you with 110% of the difference. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The Boston Bruins now up 3-1 to one in their series with the Florida Panthers. Ian McLaren of Locked On Bruins joins us. And, Ian, despite the injuries, the Bruins are finding their stride. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins knew they were going to be up without Patrice Bergeron for at least games three and four. Uh, and then prior to game three, they learned that David Krejci would not be able to suit up either. He missed game four as well. But still, the Boston Bruins showing tremendous depth and full credit to Don Sweeney for adding some of those pieces that have stepped up, whether it was this season before the deadline or in years past. 
and the Boston Bruins were able to get the job done in Florida, taking those two road games and they head back to Boston for game five with, uh, with the chance to close it out on home ice, which is, uh, which is exciting for them for sure. No question about it. And, and what do you think was the biggest difference in these two games, especially down in Florida that allowed the Bruins to take command of the series? There's a few things. I think the Bruins were able to make a couple adjustments after that game two loss to the Panthers. They inserted Matt Grizzlick into the lineup for some uh, puck moving ability on the back end, uh, brought Jacob Lauko in for some depth and energy on the fourth line. And uh, Nick Felino, who was expected to be a scratch heading into game three, he jumped back in because of the injury to David Krejci. And the Bruins have this next man up mentality. Uh, they knew they had to come together as a team without, you know, the two guys that have been there forever, pretty much. And uh, they were able to do it. Charlie Coyle stepped up huge in game three, played uh, just like a first light center, which he hasn't quite done in, in his career. He's more comfortable second, third line, maybe. And then on Sunday, it was uh, Taylor Hall who had a monster game for the Bruins, two goals, two assists for four points. Uh, an amazing performance from him after missing most of the, the final couple months of the regular season due to injury. So it was partly Jim Montgomery making some adjustments after the loss, partly some guys stepping up and also Linus Allmark looked incredible in these two games in Florida looked a bit rough at home. I think he had that uh, flu bug that had been hindering some Bruins late in the regular season and into the first couple games, but he looked so sharp in these two games against the Panthers and uh, even dropped the gloves near the end of the game, looking to get a piece of Matthew Kachuk, which is some great passion that you love to see on his part as well. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of opposing players who wouldn't mind getting a piece of Matthew <laughs> yes. Kachuk over the course of this season. No doubt. Does it bother you that this team allowed 43 shots on goal in game four? Yes and no. I mean, they were outshot in game one. The thing with the Panthers is they have a, a high volume of shots. They're not necessarily the highest quality of shots. The Bruins have been able to keep them to the perimeter for the most part. Uh, Kachuk has been one of those guys who has been able to get to the net. He scored that beautiful goal between his legs for the first one on the Bruins. But uh, the Bruins are able to, yeah, keep them to the perimeter and also clean up any rebounds that Allmark is able to, uh, or that that he allows. Uh, so for the most part, it's quality, uh, not so much more quantity in terms of shots for the Panthers, and uh, they haven't had a ton of those high danger chances that really make you nervous in the postseason. Do you think that losing one of the first two games in Boston almost was beneficial to this team in some ways? I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made for that. A lot of people heading into the postseason talked about how Boston had not coasted through the regular season. They still kept their foot on the gas till the very end, which was seen in them icing a full lineup in the season finale against Montreal. But they hadn't faced a ton of adversity throughout the course of the regular season. A couple 
two or three games lost in a row here and there, literally only two times. And they had been able to avoid the injury bug uh, pretty well over the course of the season as well. So yeah, to get that loss in game two was a bit of a reality check. Everybody knows how difficult it is to win in the playoffs, but it's a different thing between saying that and then, oh no, you're tied in this series. You dropped a game on home ice. It's time to really focus in here and uh, to win those two games on the road without Bergeron and Krejci is a real testament to uh, this team's resilience. And to do it on the road is, is, you can't overstate how important it is to get those two wins and now have uh, a chance to, to finish things off on Wednesday in Boston. And, and the power play seems to be clicking very nicely in this series as well. Yeah, that had been an issue throughout the course of the regular season, especially over the last couple of months. That has really been rejuvenated. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi has played a big role in that. He has been uh, a fantastic presence for the Bruins in the postseason, his first taste of NHL playoff action. And he has been all over the place, mixing it up. We saw that power play goal in game one where he had that blind backhand pass to David Pasternak. Um, and he scored another goal in game four on a, on a beautiful tip as well. Uh, so that coupled with their near perfect penalty kill, they allowed a power play goal in game four, but it was the first one of the series that Florida has scored uh, special teams playing a big role. And you know, that, power play should only have better opportunities when Patrice Bergeron's back in the lineup as well. And he's back to his regular bumper position that he plays on the, on the power play. Yeah, that'll be a, a great addition uh, when it does indeed happen. What are the keys to closing out this series now? I mean, they can't take Florida lightly. Obviously we've seen Florida win in Boston in this series. Um, and they can't allow Florida to uh, get under their skin. Full credit to Brad Marchand so far in the series for not taking those retali retaliatory penalties. They've really tried to get under his skin, but he stayed pretty calm and cool, uh, acting as the de facto captain with, with Bergeron out. And uh, yeah, just playing their game. The home crowd will be certainly amped up in this one. Uh, you know, Florida's goaltending has been shaky in this series. We saw Sergei Bobrovsky come in uh, for Alex Lyon to start game four. Um, and, you know, those two guys have shown that they can give up the odd soft goal here and there. So keep it simple, get the puck on net. And uh, I think the Bruins should have a good shot at, at closing things out on home ice here. All right, Ian, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media. Podcast Locked on Boston Bruins, available everywhere you get podcasts and on YouTube. You can find it on Twitter and Instagram at Locked NHL Bruins. And people can find me at Ian C. McLaren. All right, Ian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks a lot, Gil. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, Harrison Lee. And uh, Harrison, game three, a little bit of a heartbreaker there for the Jets, an overtime loss uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights. And it was, to me, a game where 
Winnipeg had their chances, but just couldn't quite find a way to finish. Yeah, you know, it was one of those games where, unfortunately, for a couple of periods, the Jets kind of got owned. I'm not going to lie. Um, Vegas came out swinging, and I, I mean, we sort of expected it after that embarrassing loss at home. Um, obviously, the second game, Vegas, it took a, a little bit, but they did wake up, and it, it put the Jets in a real bind. You know, two shifts into the third game, Morrissey goes out, and now it seems like he's done for the whole series. So it just feels like everything's kind of gone from bad to worst. And then you have that miraculous comeback and everything feels like it's just uh, like a game of destiny. But instead, I, I think we saw the wrong destiny, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough because I thought in overtime they had more than a few chances to to finish that game off. Talk to me a little bit about Morrissey. How do they go about replacing him and what's the plan? Oh. Uh, my my Twitter timeline today was a bit of a mess about this because um, basically there's no internal replacement for Morrissey. You just you're not going to find a 75 plus point uh, 5v5 scoring monster and transition expert the way that Morrissey is. I know that like his power play impact is kind of modest, but all the other stuff that he does offensively for this team, there's there's just no one else who can do it. Um, honestly, the only thing that I was really thinking might work is maybe trying to get Billy Heinola back into the lineup. Everyone will say, well, you know, he's not somebody that the coach trusts. And, you know, we, we've got guys internally. And I'm thinking if the coach trusted those guys, they'd be starting as well. I think the reality is if you're worried about him getting caved at even strength, yeah, it's probably going to happen. But also like every other defender the Jets put in are also going to get caved. I think the main thing is, can you find somebody who can move the puck um, and offer some more offensive skill? Because, as it is right now, the Jets just, I mean, there's there's no one. Um, so you're, you you got to make the best of a crappy situation. I don't think anyone expected this to happen. But, you know, it's just another name to add to a growing list of rather significant injuries. The team did make that big comeback in the third period. They scored three goals, tied it up in the last minute. What does that say about this team? I think for the Jets, you know, they, they certainly aren't going to go down without a fight. I think that is one thing that Bones has really tried to instill this year is a stronger mentality. I, I always say that, like, in some cases, you know, mentality is kind of overstated with some teams. But I think for the Jets, it's been a legitimate issue. When things don't go well, you know, you can really see how it affects Winnipeg skaters. Um, their shoulders sag a bit. Maybe they don't try as hard on some of these shifts. They just seem to lack the belief. But in this game, I felt like they thought that they really did have a shot. And, you know, seeing Sandberg when he made that that mistake, that wasn't really a mistake, uh, just a bit of poor fortune on that deflection. You know, it, you could feel his heart just kind of sink. Um, and it was bad enough to where, you know, immediately DeMello grabs him and says, it's OK. You know, it, it just happens. It is what it is. Uh, we'll deal with it. But it, it's not your fault kind of thing. Talk to me about Neil Pionk because he set up all three of those third period goals. Yeah, Pionk had an interesting game up until that point. You know, traditionally, he is kind of the, the sort of player who's very offensively minded is how I'd be uh, generously describing it. I think in this game, though, when he was on the ice, especially for the first couple of periods, the Jets weren't really creating a lot, which is unusual for him. Uh, usually he's involved at least getting into the offensive zone and stuff. At that point, you know, I think 
Vegas was sitting deeper and it gave uh, Pionk and, and company a lot more space. Funny enough, if you still look at like some of the on ice numbers and stuff under the surface, it wasn't great. I think he definitely had a much stronger third period um, and, and certainly getting a couple of nice assists and uh, being part of like the point shooting and stuff that that was very helpful, especially a couple of nice deflections. But with him, it's always a challenge because he, he kind of has to score to really bring value. If he's not scoring or directly, um, you know, creating passes that lead right to goals, uh, maybe a couple of passes before it's, it's limiting, you know, the rest of his value because unfortunately defensively he had a couple of really bad instances in this game, one of which was a goal again. So, you know, you, you sort of get a bit of give and take with him. Um, but at least in the third period, he was able to uh, kind of help rally the troops and get back on track because he he had to play a lot of minutes. I think at the end of it, he had something close to 40 minutes, which is uh, a lot more than you'd really want him to be logging. No doubt about that. And well, double overtime games will do that to you. But what is the key to getting back even? You know, you have one more home game coming up. What's the key to getting back even and then possibly pulling off the upset in this series? I think Hellebuck is probably the key here. Uh, he's not been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think in this series, he hasn't been as good as we usually expect. A couple of really big saves, but a couple of the shots that beat him, a couple of the rebounds that he surrendered, I think he wouldn't be happy with those. Uh, so if he has a really big performance tomorrow night, or I guess, depending on when this goes up, maybe uh, this evening, you know, I, I think it'd be nice for him to have a really big rebound game um, and kind of shake off the nerves. Every time he plays Vegas, he seemingly has a, a couple of soft goals and things. And I think the, the memories of 2017, 2018, and sort of the, the frustration and the, the pain of losing what should have been a cup run year, I, I think that still kind of haunts him a little bit because prior to this playoff series, he wasn't really having any issues. But, you know, if he gets back to where he's been, you know, the Jets are finding other ways to score. So I think that's okay. Uh, certainly for the defense, they're going to have to work overtime in this next one. Uh, hopefully not double overtime, but certainly uh, putting in a few extra shifts in Morrissey's absence. Sandberg really needs to kind of recover. I, I think it's a lot to ask of him, you know, after that horrifying moment. But, you know, this, this just stuff just is going to happen on the ice. You have to sort of dust yourself off and get back up and hopefully he can rally because he's been brilliant otherwise. And I really hope that he doesn't let that one moment uh, kind of overpower what has been a really good run from him. Yeah, well, hopefully he can do that, and we'll see how the Jets bounce back after a, a very heartbreaking and hard-fought uh, game three in Winnipeg. Harrison, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find the podcast and where they can find you on social media? We are available on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. You can follow the podcast on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, same ones as Locked on NHL and YouTube for those of you who enjoy a little bit of video content. <laughs> all right, Harrison, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. All right. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Every dayers, don't forget, we are here every weekday, Monday through Friday, bringing you the latest news from around the National Hockey League. So make sure you join us for that throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. I want to thank my guests, Harrison Lee of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, Dave Marasuti of Locked On Leafs, and Ian McLaren of Locked On Bruins. 
I'm Gil Martin. I host the Monday edition of the show, and I co-host the Friday edition with Rachel Donner. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe, and thanks for listening to the Locked On NHL Podcast.